So just tell me, is that? Yep, I can hear that. Yeah. Yeah, but is it in sync with the, yeah? Yeah, I'm getting in sync totally. Okay. <clears throat> that would have been nice, sorry. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> all right. Hello, welcome to Shoulders of Giants. I'm Jim. <laughs> and, okay, good stuff. I like it. We're going to go with this. I was, we're sticking with it. And I am, I'm going to say Sheppy, since I think that's what I'm going to be referred to. Uh, we've established now. Um, so, yeah. Hello. I, I, for the purposes of this podcast, I am officially Sheppy. Love it, Sheppy, because I probably will resist to keep calling you that. And I just need to say for the record, I wasn't looking as I started the sentence. And when I looked up and saw that you were drinking during the sentence, I got very excited about how that might land at the top end. So that was that was nice. <laughs> nice. Coca-Cola or uh, another brand. But yes, yes, just a soft pop. I want that clear. Soft pop. <laughs> And with a soft pop, we move into the introduction wow. to this episode. I oh, mean, wow. come on. <laughs> come on, Jeff. Yeah, but that soft pop was my brain exploding. That was huge. <laughs> and uh, look, we are Shoulders of Giants. We celebrate all things movie. If you're a first-timer with us, we um, basically look at existing material, either go back and reinvent or build upon um, that which already exists with sequels, prequels, and all sorts. And... Um, Today, Sheppy has challenged us both to travel back yes. to... Uh, well, well, sorry, I just want to jump in and say yeah. what you were... Just to go with what you were saying there about, yeah, the shoulders of giants thing, um, about the what if. Um, yeah, because I like that title and I've said it before, but, you know, every podcast is someone's first and all that. So, yeah, the point for me was always just like, this isn't a negative like oh that sucks and we could do better it really is us like like, and like you said before Jimbo it's about it comes from a place of love and it's not us trying to shit on anything uh it's us just yeah saying oh wouldn't this be interesting it's it's pub talk uh, essentially so like yeah it. yeah so I'm, I'm really happy with that and and so yes um please continue Jimbo well Shep so I, we uh we have a challenge on our hands set by you last week, which was essentially to fully sequelize and imagine Diamonds Are Forever never existed and go straight into an On Her Majesty's Secret Service 2, where Lazenby is given another gig, which possibly objectively should have happened if we, if we look yeah. back in time now. And um, You know, even without looking back in time, I think it's a safe bet because it's all about it's like when you watch a TV show, you really need to watch like three or four episodes before you make up your mind. And yeah, Lazenby coulda, shoulda, have had another one and it's his own fault. He didn't make another James Bond film. He did quit the role because he figured the franchise was dead and they went back to Connery and the rest is history. But yeah, and I don't hate George Lazenby as James Bond. He is my least favourite James Bond but he, I don't hate him. And I can't imagine that film with Sean Connery on Her Majesty's Secret Service. It's no. a very unique film um, for the James Bonds. And, and I, I like it with Lazenby. If Sean Connery had done that last scene, Sheppy, it would have, and pulled it off, it would have been even more stunning, in fairness. Yes, yes, you know, yes because um, he's got the baggage. Yeah. 
But um, the yeah, totally agree with you, man. I would say that Craig's lows are way lower than Lazenby's lows, which is just an interesting in point. Performance. Yeah, I think well not before, but just like some of the stuff he has to do, Craig. Oh, you mean the, like the what, films themselves? Yeah, just the moments and the bits and the, just sort of some of the interpretations of Bond and the things they do. You know, I mean, I like Craig. I really like Craig. You know, and on balance, prefer right. him to Lazenby. But I'm just saying, like you know, Lazenby sort of bubbles along in a sort of. A middle I love how you have to qualify that, like as if anyone other. I'm sure there must be someone out there who's like, you know, this is controversial. But on balance, I prefer Daniel Craig to George Lazenby. James Bond. That's going to raise some eyebrows. I like it. It's, we, we don't hold back with controversy here. It's good stuff. But I know what you mean. All three of our listeners, Sheppy. Yeah, that's because two of them were Daniel Cray. <laughs> um, before we even jump any further, maybe just a quick thing, just very quick. James Bond, Sean Connery, obviously, made Doctor No and made James Bond, and he made five James Bond films, and then he quit um, and left after You Only Live Twice. And he did come back after for one extra film, official James Bond film, and that's all well and good. Um, they James Bond as a series has a habit of each film gets bigger and bigger and even perhaps sillier and sillier, and it starts at a point fairly grounded in some sort of reality, and then each subsequent James Bond film gets bigger and sillier. And it happened with Connery, and it happened with Moore, and it happened with Craig. Um, and so, but at a certain point, the Bond films get so big, and they and the next film snaps right back, and then the whole process builds again. And I like that. And on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which was the sixth James Bond film, and the first without Sean Connery, it snapped back and it had a lot to prove um, because it was the first without the established, very, very popular James Bond. Um, and it made it more grounded um, and it made it more um, espionage based, but also taken from the source material, it took the, the story uh, in a deeper way uh, for usual James Bond films. You know, he falls in love, spoilers, the end, he gets married, he quits on Her Majesty's Secret Service, and then his bride gets shot in the forehead and dies. Uh, and the last scene, which you were saying about if it had been Connery, which would have been very effective, is James Bond over his corpse bride, and he's crying, and that's the end of the film. Uh, so to do a direct sequel to that would be interesting, uh, absolutely. The thing is, On Humanity Secret Service was not a huge success at the time, not compared to the previous Conneries, and so it was deemed a failure, and so when they did make Diamonds Are Forever and they spent the big bucks to get Connery back, they really wanted to recreate uh, the most successful Bond film, which was Goldfinger, with, and they got the same director, and they tried to get the same tone. There was even talk of having Goldfinger's twin brother be the villain, played by Gert Throbe, um, again. It, you know, and that's fine. I don't really like Diamonds Are Forever as a film. I mean, I do like it because it's James Bond, but it's not one of my favourites. But I'm not wishing it to disappear from existence. But, yeah, it is a big what if, like, had they continued the Lays and Bees. But even more than that, what if they did make a direct sequel? I mean, I'm sure they must, they would have touched on the death of Tracy, his bride, had they made 
his diamonds are forever. And that's the other thing. At the end of On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the credits roll, and it says in Bond tradition, James Bond will return in, and it says diamonds are forever, which is why what we're doing now, which is On Her Majesty's Secret Service 2, it is also an alternative diamonds are forever. So it's still cool. Oh, nice. Okay. We're cool. That's a good shout, Sheps. I, I'd forgotten it did that because I sort of, I went with a title that I'll tell you anyway. Well, that's later, okay. But yeah. I love it. I love um, it. But yeah, lovely, man. Love, I mean, man, the brilliant context. One more Sheps. thing I just brilliant. want to say then uh, is just then in terms of James Bond's sequels, it's a very rare thing, of course. Doctor No was the first Bond film, and the second was from Russia with Love, which by definition was the sequel because it was the second James Bond film made. And it does play like a sequel. If you forget, if you force your brain to forget all the other Bond films and you watch Doctor No and then you watch From Russia with Love, it is a sequel, which is great. And the only other Bond film that does that is Quantum of Solace, which in its own way is also a, a revenge thriller, which is what, how I would see our version, this new version, you know, what we're talking about now of Diamonds Are Forever um, to be. So I, I like the idea of this James Bond sequel. I don't want them to do it very often. And I, in fact, don't like the way that the Daniel Craig films try and tie it all together and connect them all. I think that's a bit poo. But I yeah. do like the fact that Quantum of Solace is a direct sequel to Casino Royale. So yeah, so that's, that's, the, that's the last tangent I'm going off on at this moment. I'm just going to add one more tangent because I agree. I love everything you said. <laughs> the only other tangent to say, which is a bit playful, but you know, this podcast is as much about our friendship ships. You do realize in this universe, you will not get your For Your Eyes Only pre-title sequence, possibly, depending on how well, you end. Don't your... worry about that. No, no, <laughs> because I think I stated this previously. I have a caveat for that. These are all in a space-time bubble. Yeah. Uh, so nothing will affect future films. And I, and I thought of that, actually, even before we decided on, you know, doing a James Bond sequel. Any what if has absolutely no effect. It's, uh, it's time locked. So we're safe. The next film, you know, Live and Let Die, I'm more concerned with than the beginning of Pure Eyes Only. I wouldn't want to sacrifice Live and Let Die existing for the world. And Live and Let Die wouldn't exist if Diamonds Are Forever with Sean Connery didn't happen. So, yeah. you know, I'm not going to rewrite history. It's a, it's a time pocket. So there you go. Nice. <laughs> for, for listeners' benefit, Shepi and I probably argued for at least, I'm going to say, a day's time of our life <laughs> about how good the Furies Only pre-title sequence is and whether that was a justified way to get revenge with, uh, with Blofeld for, for the actions Stainless of Her Majesty's Secret Service. Stainless steel. <laughs> yes, classic stuff. Classic okay. stuff. Well, I'm going to try and keep my hair on as we... Uh, Continue. And um, the I'm assuming, Sheps, given you challenged it and I went first last time, are we hearing yours first today? What's the plan? Um, yeah, I, I guess so. If that's okay with you, I'll, mm. I'll jump in first. Very happy. Um, I, for a while, even before we, we came up with this nice idea for the podcast, I will say that I had, I always did just the concept of a Majesty's Secret Service 2 as a revenge thriller, 
And by the way, made in 1971 uh, on the Majesty's Secret Service was 69. So going for the every other year, which it was for a long time with Bond films. Um, so early 70s, that sort of cinema, that idea of that sort of cinema and a revenge James Bond film, I'm all for. And I've always liked, you know, the big silly Bonds, but I've always had a real affinity to the more dark, you know, I... A lot of people don't like Quantum of Solace, but I have time for it. But License to Kill, especially, I'm a big fan of. So that in the 70s, yeah. So that that's appealing to me. So that's the other thing I will say. I love yes. it. And it kind of feeds into the um, one jumping on the, the bandwagon of cinema at the time a little bit. Yes. You know what I mean? I like that. Yes. Yeah, great. Absolutely. Absolutely correct. He always did. And that's great, as it should be, you know. Um, Live and Let Die goes into like the sort of the, the shaft exploitation sort of little bit you know cinema and so to do that yeah yeah no it's I'm all for it absolutely um now last week Jimbo as you may or may not remember we talked about the Goonies 2 um for this um and for and for the Goonies 2 I wrote maybe half a page but because I had an idea a vague idea of this sort of what I wanted this Bond film to be I wrote about a page and a half of just describing the pre-credit sequence. Um, and so I, I'm going to tie myself to this. I've got the text. I'm going to, I'm going to stick with it. I didn't refer to my Goonies text. I don't think very much at all, but for this, I'm going to try and stick with it because I didn't, I don't want to miss anything. Um, so yeah, if you'll allow me, I'll. Um, Please, I'll Sheppy, you are fully indulged, my brother, fully indulged. I can't I'm wait. But, do stop me or, you know, you know um, interject or, you know, don't just let me ramble, ramble. I'll but, just say, Shep, so, I, I'm, I'm just a bit worried yes. that mine will be an anticlimax after this, <laughs> but that's all good. I'm, I'm happy. I'm excited. So let's hear. I, I'm excited. There's no such thing as anticlimax. This is James Bond we're talking about. So <laughs> we're, we're all okay. Um, I came up, so, okay, so this is Diamonds Are Forever. Um, I've just seen that I actually wrote in my notes Diamonds As Forever, but I'm not going to change that. That's, that. That is not going to be a tomorrow never lies typo. Tomorrow, Diamonds Are Forever. Excuse me. Uh, now, I'm having this film directed by On Humanity's Secret Services director, Peter Hunt, who only directed that James Bond film. But in this universe, he came back for the sequel, uh, 1971. Um, and I have the same writers from Humanity's Secret Service, but also uh, Tom Mankiewicz, who wrote the um, some slightly later James Bond films. Um, Richard Maybaum, who wrote all of the Bond films up until this point anyway, um, and Peter Hunt himself. So in my own mind, that these are the people who wrote the script. And I've got George Lazenby returning as James Bond, 007. We have Telly Savalas returning as Blofeld. Now for the Bond girl, it's tricky because I didn't want there to be romance you know, for Bond, as much as Bond ever has actual romance, because he's mourning. The point of this film is he's mourning his bride, but there still has to be a female lead. Um, and I was trying to think who it would be. Now, in the version that exists, we have Jill St. John. Um, in this version, because Jill St. John was in an episode of the 1966 Batman, I, my brain just went to who could it be? And I went to Julie Newmar. So I've got Julie Newmar as the Bond girl in this film. Um, and because of what we were saying about um, early 70s, I've got Richard Roundtree 
in this film. I don't even know who he's playing, but I want Richard Zante, who played John Shaft, the black American James Bond, some would say. Um, we've also got Draco, or Draco. I'm going to call him Draco from this moment. Not Harry Potter, but uh, Draco or Draco, who is um, Tracy's father, who established in On a Ministry Secret Service is a huge, powerful crime boss, but possibly even like super villain in his own right, second only to Blofeld himself. And it's never really gone into, but he's a very, very powerful man in organized crime. So Draco's back. Um, and one other thing I'm gonna mention is, um, I don't, Elsie uh, Stepat, uh, that is terrible pronunciation, but the German actress who played Rosa Klebb, not Rosa Klebb, um, Irma Bunt, excuse yeah. me, who is actually the one who pulled the trigger and killed the wife. Now, she died in 1969, but I want her in this, but I'm not going to rewrite history with this power. I, I don't want to go over the top with godlike power. So she's dead, unfortunately, the actress. But I have a way of bringing her back in the pre-credit sequence without CGI jiggery-pokery, of course, because it's the early 70s. But if you remember, before I get into this too much, in On a Menace Secret Service, there's a bit where Bond comes into a lady's bedroom and he's saying, hello, it's me, let's have sex. And then Uma Bunt, who's an ugly German lady, sits up and grunts and it's a trap. And Bond yeah. says, fancy meeting you here, Fraulein. And then he gets knocked out. Now that plays a huge part in my pre-credit sequence. But the shot of Uma Bunt sitting up in bed looking scary, that either using like a B-roll or an alternative take of that, or, or even if that's it, but even if they only have that one take, they use that, but they, they filter the light differently. So it's all dark. And when she sits up, she sort of sits up into the light. It's cheeky. And anyone watching it would say, hey, that's the same shot. But I don't care. She's dead and she needs to be in this. Because if it's going to be a revenge film, Bond has to have some revenge on the woman who actually killed his wife. So that's, so that's what I'm saying now. So she pops up posthumously, um, as it were. Um, okay, I hope that's perfect. Chips, very clear, um, wonderful. So I'm so glad video. you went first as well because you've done beautiful context on the the, the players to bring back. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm loving it. So good stuff. Now I've got written here the basic, very basic uh, elevator pitch blurb. Okay, here we go. Lazenby's Bond hunts Savalas's Blofeld in a 1970s revenge thriller. Uh, action takes place in Germany, North Africa, South Africa, England and Ireland. I threw in Ireland because I can't think of any Bond film where it's got any bit in Ireland. Uh, write in, tell me if I'm wrong. But <laughs> So yeah, a little bit of Ireland. I don't even know what happens in that. Um, Oh, and here's something that I'm, I'm, as Q would say, I'm particularly proud of in a very smug way. So it's called Diamonds Are Forever. In this version, the diamond has nothing to do with the plot. The diamond, Diamonds Are Forever, as referred to in the title of this film, is referring to Tracy's engagement ring. Um, and the engagement Beautiful. ring representing the union of her and Bond, uh, their bond, their perfect love, uh, the love which never wanes or sours because it was halted in, you know, before even the honeymoon. So it stays at its purest for all time. Diamonds are forever. Uh, so Shit. that's 
that's where that comes from. That's a go to lunch moment. That is a go to lunch on the title moment. I love it. I was high fiving a tree. Um, (laughs) And also, I'd written the tagline for the film Life is short, love is fleeting, diamonds are forever. So there you go. I've got that going on. Now, uh, the pre-credit sequence, and this is the most detailed part. Everything else is basic plot, but I'm, if you'll indulge me, um, this is sort of um, what I came up with for the pre-credit sequence in relatively broad strokes anyway, but we have an old uh, German castle or mansion or fortress, perhaps an old Nazi stronghold somewhere. I see it as a mansion in the middle of the German countryside in like, you know, in, in the forest or something. Uh, and, it's, and there are loads of guards all over the place. It's nighttime, um, guards are prowl- prowling everywhere, and James Bond breaks in. Uh, we see glimpses of Bond as he breaks into this uh, big mansion at night under the cover of shadows. We see little bits of him, but we don't have a full reveal yet. He's all in black. He kills a guard uh, with like a neck snap or strangulation or something. He kills another guard with like a knife under the ribs. So he's very silent. He's, um, he dodges, he weaves, he avoids, and he strikes guard after guard silently and ruthlessly. Then we cut to a bedroom. Uh, again, it's all dark. A woman is sleeping in the bed. We don't really see her yet. The door silently opens, spilling this rectangular light into the room the long shadow of Bond as he enters the door frame and then into the room in silhouette. Uh, We still haven't seen him really. Uh, We cut to a wall safe and Bond's hand enters the frame and silently cracks the safe and opens it. uh, And he takes out some stuff like documents. Uh, The woman in bed stirs. She sort of rolls over a bit, she's aware. Bond then brings out his gun uh, and it's got a silencer on it. Now, up until now, it's been very silent. We're about a minute into the film, no sound, because it's all been these silent kills and things. But he takes out his gun with a silencer and he unscrews and removes the silencer. He then steps up to the bed and into the light for his first reveal. And it's Lazenby and it's Bond, but he's looking a bit more rugged than we last saw him. His hair is a touch less perfect maybe a tiny bit, tiny bit more shaggy than in the previous film. It's about a year after the end of Medicine's Secret Service. We'll learn later, and it's been a hell of a year for him. He's just been basically running around dismantling Spectre for the last year, um, and he's sort of reached his end game here, uh, more or less. Um, so he's, he's looking at the woman in bed. He raises his gun. The woman wakes up, and she reacts but you still can't really see her. And then Bond, as a sort of a grim half whisper, as he raises the gun, says, fancy meeting you here, Fraulein. Uh, she sits up and we use the footage of Uma Bunt sitting up in bed, like, like as if from a nightmare. She sees Bond, her eyes go wide. We hear her voice, which we can get an actress to do a voice, you know, a very good impersonation. Uh, she says, wait or something, I'll, I'll give him to you, referring to Blofeld. Bond says, you already have, and he motions for the safe and whatever information was relevant, which he's taken out of there. Bond cocks the gun. Bunt says, please spare me. And Bond says, like she was spared. And we cut to the exterior 
of the mansion, we see the old muzzle flash in the window and a loud bang uh, that alerts all the guards, alarms wail and blare, lots of guards rush around corridors with their guns, run, 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 they burst into Bunt's room, they see her blatantly shot in the head, dead. You know, we don't necessarily have to see that because we don't have the footage anyway, but she's dead. Bond's gone, the window's open, and then we see at the end of the bed, there's a small box with a flashing red light. The guards react, the room explodes. Then we have a great big action sequence. Uh, Bond kills some more guards, he shoots some guards, he gets, he nicks a motorbike, he drives around, there's a good old uh, car chase, motorbike chase, guards on motorbikes, there's shooting, there's firing, there's jumping. Uh, I have an idea of Bond spraying, like, you know, making his back wheel spin and it sprays like gravel at a guard's face and uh, Bond front drives off. He removes another black box and presses a button and the red light starts flashing. He does a very cool jump on his motorbike, lands, obviously. Two guards on motorbikes try to do the same jump and they're in the air and it looks like they're going to make it. But then we see the red flashing light below and Bond has obviously dropped the bomb and it explodes. <laughs> and then we have a shot, pure hero, Bond on his motorbike, riding right towards the camera. His face is set. There's no smirk. And behind him, a huge explosion, the fireball totally engulfing the two bikes in mid-jump, and Bond speeds off. And then we have the opening credits. And that's, that's how I see that. And as for the opening credits song, just because On Her Majesty's Secret Service didn't have uh, like the usual like crooner or whatever, it was just instrumental, the theme tune. Uh, so I'm saying this film also, no singer, no Shirley Bassey. It's instrumental, it's John Barry. It's a hard, vicious, bombastic take on a similar to the On Amenity Secret Service music, but, you know, obviously different. Uh, so there you go. So that's that's the most of it. Uh, I can now tell you the Bloody plot. love it so far, Sheppy. Absolutely stunning. So cool. I, 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 well, we, the, the bit of him killing Irma Bunt in bed has been in my mind for a few years. I'm just going to say that. The motorbike stuff, I figured it needed some sort of action. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So thank you, Jimbo. So the basic plot is that Bond, it's a year after Tracy has been murdered, and Bond has spent that year uh, dismantling Spectre. Uh, this is his greatest revenge against Blofeld. He is, and by the way, Spectre, you know, it blew all of its money on that volcano lair in You Only Live Twice. And then Blofeld tried again and Bond blew that up with, on, you know, up in the mountains on Humanity's Secret Service. So Spectre's in trouble anyway. And Bond has spent that year taking it apart. Uh, so now Blofeld is fairly destitute. And he joins forces with someone who I chose to call for this moment, Billy Roosevelt. Uh, now I'm thinking it sounds too much like Billy Rosewood, but there you go. I wanted <laughs> Billy, because this is a young all-American type, um, who I don't know if we really had that as a main villain. Do you remember the accountant in License to Kill who works for Robert Davy? I don't know if you do, but that's who I see as basically the joint villain of this film, not a side villain, but Blofeld and this young, maybe late twenties, Billy Roosevelt, because I just figured an American 
Billy and Roosevelt, president, sure, why not? That's his name. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, you could say the world is not enough has joint 50-50 villain duties. Um, possibly you could say that, it depends. Um, I would say, yeah, this film, it's Telly Savalas' Blofeld and whoever is young, up, up-and-coming, fresh-faced American actor who we can discuss, maybe, from the early 70s, but he plays Billy Roosevelt, who is um, this, yeah, like he's this wunderkind, very intelligent, you know, and legitimate, importantly, because Blofeld is on the run and everyone is out to get him and he's on the back foot. So he needs to team up with this kid who's got, you know, legitimacy, but is also, and everyone loves him all over the world, but is actually, of course, he's an evil, nasty Bond villain. So we have a 50-50 split of main villains. uh, And their plan is to use the legitimate businesses that Billy Roosevelt has uh, with Blofeld's connections to the underworld and what's left of Spectre's resources, particularly the infertility drug that he had perfected in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. The plot there was to wipe out whole strains of crops. Uh, In this case, they've taken that premise, but they've developed um, the opposite of infertility uh, infertility drug, a very much fertility drug, which will grow amazing crops, like 100, 500 times more fertile. They could grow, you know, you could grow cabbages under the sea. You could grow in the middle of the desert. You know, it's this amazing thing, which is borderline sci-fi, but, you know, that's okay, it's Bond. Um, But yeah, they've designed this stuff that can grow crops in the worst conditions ever. And... Therefore, they Billy has become a worldwide hero with this because, of course, Blofeld is keeping to the shadows. Uh, every door is open to him. And the ultimate plan is that once the world's governments have said, this is amazing, take our deserts, take our inhospitable regions, they're yours, grow it, and then you know feed our country and feed other countries. Once they have that, then the real plan is to create uh, like these huge steroid deserts, like, you know, real mega deserts, like the worst possible, like, again, like the surface of the Mars in, in like, Total Recall, just really awful stuff, um, right in the centre of these terrible, almost nuclear wastelands is, uh, like, an oasis of pure godliness of, like, hundreds of uh, acres of just lush, lush paradise uh, and... The idea is these lush areas, these islands of like tranquility will be sold off to all the world's supervillains who want to retire, who can't retire because they're always going to be found. But to the highest bidder, they can own their own private place, which is gorgeous with all this beautiful vegetation and lovely stuff. But it's surrounded by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles of totally inhospitable like desert that's like desert time 10 which you know you could send a, a bomber to bomb this like oasis for the supervillain but the plane will never get through the, the sandstorms uh, they could drop a bomb but then the bomb would just get blown apart by these 1000 mile an hour winds it's crazy uh, so the plot of Blofeld and Roosevelt is to basically sell off retirement packages for supervillains who want to 
you know, just chill out with their money um, where no one can touch them. It's like the ultimate in uh, non-extradition Gardens of Eden type stuff. Uh, so I hope that's clear. Yeah. Um, retirement <laughs> Something to aspire to, Sheppy. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, that's what I was saying. Yeah, so Blofeld refers to it as a retirement paradise for the weary global super terrorist. Um, so once the penny has dropped in the second half, um, the, the nation's armies and the UN and so forth are sent in, like in their tanks and their planes and so forth, to destroy this proto-Eden. Because um, there's going to be hundreds of these, but this is the prototype uh, where, of course, Blofeld is hanging out in the middle of, like, the Gobi Desert or somewhere. But again, the desert itself has been made so much worse with this beautiful oasis right in the middle, which is untouchable. Um, and, you know, all these armies march in there, and then we see, like, you know, it's the, the sandstorms are so hardcore that they're corroding the tanks in seconds, and they're destroying the guns, these helicopters or bombing planes are flying over and they just get totally destroyed. And of course, Blofeld has ground-to-air missiles anyway. So all men perish in super hot, super fast sand, uh, sink, you know, sink pits and tornadoes and all sorts. So that's, that's the plan. Um, the plot is basically Bond, of course, trying to find out what's going on and stopping it. Uh, and, you know, as opposed to up a, up a mountain from the previous film, this one is a, like an insane desert of death. Um, Blofeld, again, like about halfway through the film, holds up his end of the deal by getting all of the world's supervillains together to start the bidding. Um, and, you know, Roosevelt kills either like, you know, a lackey who's failed him or some baddie who's refusing to pay, you know, that old chestnut, 50 billion pounds, you're out of your mind. Oh, okay, <laughs> do you want to wait in this office for a minute and then you can go? And the guy goes outside, uh, but it's outside and it's the desert and the heat grows so fast. And the guy is like, you know, they're watching all the other supervillains and Blofeld and Billy are looking at him through this nice window and they're all drinking their champagne or whatever. And this guy's outside and it's getting hotter and hotter. Like in about 30 seconds, he's cooked red, his hair catches fire, he's black. And then, you know, he's smoking on the ground, you know, just a charred corpse hitting the sand bed. You know, this is borderline sci-fi, but again, I think you can get away with it for a James Bond if you hide it in fact, you know, in, in pseudoscience. Um, and by the way, spoilers, in nice poetic justice, Billy Roosevelt dies by a mega sandstorm, um, which is just basically the sand strips him of his flesh in seconds, leaving a polished skeleton in the desert. And Bond, if he wants to do a quip, because he's not all doom and gloom, he says, he got his just deserts. Yeah, he got his just deserts. Yeah, yeah I don't care. I'm keeping it. That one's a deal breaker. So... That's basically it. Um, Bond teams up with Draco, Tracy's father, and the leader of this world's second largest terrorist organization, um, who, of course, you know, he, he is equally up for revenge because it was his daughter uh, who was killed. Uh, so this guy, before he knows how much Blofeld is into it, Draco goes to Billy Roosevelt's, you know, oasis to find out what's going on. Um, but then ultimately... He, he gets killed. And I figure it's too easy if Blofeld kills him. 
So just to show how nasty Billy Roosevelt is, he just shoots him in the head, like shocking suddenly. He's just like, you know, oh, have you seen James recently? Uh, James, who's that? Yeah, whatever, bang, and kills him. Uh, so I like that. And it's always like the helper, almost the father figure to Bond, who always dies in a lot of Bond films, uh, Karen Bay. Or it's a great show to that. have him in that role. Great show. Yeah, 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 I figure. And, you know, so the climax is in the desert, uh, killer heat, sandstorms and so forth. Uh, Roosevelt is killed by the storm. Blofeld and Bond have like an epic fist fight, like a real brutal, just no finesse, just pounding the shit out of each other uh, on top of like a desert plateau with multiple whirlwinds and twisters of different speeds and sizes flying around them. Um, and Blofeld, of course, is just about to kill Bond and then Bond kicks him or punches him into uh, a massive tornado and Blofeld's whipped away screaming into this twister but we do discover that his body is never found dot 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 so we're not killing blowfield necessarily in this um <laughs> you still managed yeah, to get yeah. your mr bond moment i didn't even think about that perfect <laughs> so there you go Jimbo. what a twist um so yeah that's and, that, and that's basically everything i've got the only other thing i was going to say is um the uh the julie newmar character yeah i think right. she's kind of um she's connected with roosevelt but you know she's not happy she she's doesn't like you know being stuck there she's a bit of a lupe in um in license to kill and so she goes with bond because not to get with bond but she wants her own revenge on roosevelt um and so she just helps out and she just shares a hatred of wankers basically and so it's not you know they're both fighters they're both fierce and she uses bond as much as he uses her and it's not romance it's just carnal passion between bond and this girl oh yeah do they so get it on in the movie yeah that. yeah oh yeah they get it on yeah you know yes for god's sake and bond sleeps <laughs> with you know two or three girls in this film women um yes yes of course he does but the point is he doesn't like any of them so that's okay um and also i'm just finishing off second tagline revenge takes a moment diamonds are forever that that's your tagline too uh, nice. so there you go i hope that was in some way comprehensible uh sorry it was pretty long but i oh, Shep, it was beautiful. that's what i came up with i bloody love it i bloody love it i only I was going to say two things occurred as you were talking through. One is just, there's another thing to say. Would, would a diamond survive that level of brutal sandstorm as well? Is there some way of being able to use something diamond-esque yeah. for Bond to kind of, I'm you know what sure. I mean, to penetrate through whatever, you know, at some point. I mean, it's a bit cheesy. I think you've got it already with the engagement ring and everything. I think that's that's just the best way to look at it. But I just wonder whether you could have the double meaning with it somehow. But I love it, man. I'm sure there's something that could be done. I'd love to see, like... Yeah. Roosevelt being a non-threat type as well, totally. Like, a, I'm thinking I've got like a Dreyfus or someone in mind, or you're saying like a, an up-and-comer, you know, someone who's yes. just not going to beat Lazenby in a fight, but will outwit yeah. him and all that, like you're saying. Yeah, I like that, man. Yeah. It's brilliant. Well, it, and funnily enough, because it's Savalas' Blofeld, so Blofeld is, in a way, the muscle, the physical threat, yeah. and, um, you know, which is usually, of course, the henchman. Not always, but usually the henchman is the physical threat and the main villain is more of the brain. Um, sometimes it's both. 
but in this case, yes, Savalas is, of course, you know, Blofeld's very clever, but he's more of the physical heavy, whereas, yeah, Roosevelt is the brain heavy. Chips. It's wonderful. Wonderful, man. I love it. So cool. I can really visualize it. I love the way you articulate that. Okay, well, look. <laughs> I'll give you uh, I'll give you give you uh, a couple of a slightly different take, and and what I love about this, by yes. the way, is that we sort of go in a different way. That's beautiful in a way that we just totally. Yeah, if you came um, up with exactly the same thing, then I would be gutted. I can't wait for that week. By the way, that'd be quite stunning, wouldn't it? We, <laughs> we've got um, we've got we've got some similarities. I brought back Peter Hunt. Um, nice, and um, I I've, I've gone yeah. Well, I, last week I, on the Goonies too, I went through characters and what have you, and I'm really glad you had because I think it was really nice to re-anchor onto the the key players from that last movie into this one. Well, by the way, my title was nowhere near as well thought through as yours, but I was just because I, I hadn't even thought. Of course, Times Up would still be a relevant title, and it's the next one, but uh, I just went totally off book as well, even though they hadn't run I out of them at that point, and just Literally. went with an all the time in the world. So I was just going to call it that. Nice. But um, I'm sure they'll call one that one day anyway, I'm sure, because it's such a sort of iconic but, song, you know, isn't it? But, but it ties in so well with the last line of one of Majesty's Secret yeah. Service, we have all the time in the world. So that's perfect. Um, now, I thought about going quantum style and like, you know, Bond, I mean, only for about a second, this, you know, going straight off, you could... Have Lazenby take the wheel, corpse next to him, and fire off after Blofeld. Um, but Lazenby's broken, right. man, and you don't want to touch Imagine that. that. <laughs> you don't want to touch that. Um, and then I love so, this idea of the, the, the bouncing bride just like flipping around in the passenger seat. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. That would be amazing. Like weekend at Bernie style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fast. Um, and then I had a. Um, I thought I'd go old school, Sheppy. Were you talking about there from Russia with Love as a direct sequel? And like, I, I like the idea actually of Bond isn't in the pre-title on, in my um, iteration. We pick up Blofeld and crew as he's making his escape out of the country for our pre-title sequence. That's that's essentially it's the open is that, um, and we're not that's seeing right. Bond in the pre-title, and basically. He's escaping out of the country um, and he does a sort of a, a Bane-style escape at the beginning of Dark Knight Rises, you know, like the stunt yes. and all that stuff. I don't know what the stunt is yet. I haven't even got to it yet, but there's a Let stunt at the beginning that's stunning. Very, I mean, just the idea of starting a Bond film with the audacity of having the action sequence revolving around the villain is genius, uh, <laughs> especially this, you know, and, you know, villain with baggage because it's Savalas. So... I, that's amazing. Again, he's got that physicality of Bane, like you were talking about as well. He just kind of has that about him. So let's just imagine yes. we had Nolan's idea before him, and let's just put that for now in there. Well, that's license the... to kill, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> like, right. You know, so let's fair. not. Get that's so away. true. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, I think now I, I am God here, Sheppy. 
I'm okay. bringing Irma back, and I'm and I'm saying she didn't die, or or she's a okay. twin sister out there. And uh, in so, real life, in real life, yeah, he was able yes. to step in. You, so you can recreate history and reality. You could bring her back, but instead you're creating a twin sister for her. That's a bit yeah. dark. If, if there's an afterlife, she's not a big fan of you. No. <laughs> And let's be honest, after what she did to Tracy, she's not upstairs, is she? So uh, the actress oh, she's even... She's an actress, I'm sure she's fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so anyway, I, he, I, 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 there's some exchange, but Irma is left behind, you know. Um, so then we have the... And then the stunt happens, and then we have our credits, and a lot man, just the way you went into that pre-title was stunning. I haven't done that level of detail. But after the, after the credits... Um, I, I like to Bond is more broken in mine and less ready for you know ready for the revenge moment. He's still kind of got a few stages to go through. It's probably let's say maybe three months rather than the year that we're going to. Um, it opens with him back at the beach where he saved Therese originally, uh, Tracy originally, sorry, and um, and then he basically. He's still got some of his equipment, you know. I, I, I can't remember all the equipment from Majesty's to be honest with you, but I'm imagining a sort of a watching type much. affair. There's, yeah. there's actually none, really. I'm going with sort of a live and let die-ish sort of watchy affair that Roger had, you know. And uh, But essentially, M is still trying to reach him kind of thing, and he's ignoring it sort of thing on the beach. Um, he's sort of, he, he's back to the hotel, room is empty, when he gets back there, but you can see there's been a woman there. And I'm, I'm actually going with a view of no Bond girl in this one. The only movie maybe when you look back over the whole canon that never had a Bond girl out of sort of a bit of deference, respect. But when I say no Bond girl, I'm talking about no defined Bond girl. And we see Bond at his worst here because, and he's just sleeping with everybody. instantly, like just alluded to throughout the whole movie. He's just doesn't, right. doesn't give a shit. That's his way of coping. Like just fucking screwing everybody sort of thing, you know. And then he's in the room, he's seen the bed and it's one of these big, beautiful executive rooms and he hasn't looked right. And he said, so he just hears someone say, it didn't take you very long, did it, James? You know, and, and essentially it's the dad whose uh, name you had and I forgot to look him oh, up. Draco. Um, Draco, that was it, Draco, yeah. So, um, and he wants to know where Blofeld is. He wants he wants Bond to leverage the Secret Service's, you know, info and he wants his own revenge. He's got resources galore at his disposal as well. He wants him on the action yeah. But um, but James is like you know I he's saying it's beyond my reach and influence to find him I can't get to him um, and um, and but but James is saying you know I haven't been I, I don't work for them anymore it's nothing to do with me blah 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 you just have that little exchange I love that you then put him into the father figure role and then get him off out tempted by a retreat because he's so broken with his daughter's death <laughs> and then obviously gets shot for his troubles. Oh, well, um, in my in my version, he wasn't tempted by a retreat. He was there undercover working. Oh, with nice! James. Oh, I like that. That's that's great. And then and then he's got. And this is the only scene he's in in my one. But I, I like yours better. But anyway, he's just sort of a, where will you go to James? You know, and um, and essentially then we go boom, seventies red bus. We're back in London. Um, I'm not having Bond having been too broken for too long. I don't want any scorpion hustling like Daniel Craig or any silliness like that <laughs> in Beach Hut. Um, and, uh, <laughs> um, I, I think um, oh, yeah. I, I think that there's sort of a uh, I, like Craig keeps trying to freaking quit the new Bond, right? Always the character and Craig himself, you know. And I think let's just lean into this, you know. Um, 
I, I guess let's have Lazenby up for it. Let's have him actually back up for joining and finding purpose and maybe a couple of little yeah. um, incidental uh, missions. By the way, in terms of where Lazenby's at at the beginning, I'm going full premier Lazenby, like beard galore, like <laughs> going the full Aussie when he's sitting on that beach. Oh, <laughs> right, premier <laughs> being the word. Yes, of yeah. course. I'm going, oh, I'm, going, I'm going die another day Brosnan style, like totally, yeah. And then... Um, and then I've got... Um, I love it. <laughs> and then at some point, you know, um, Money Penny and Bond, I'd like Money Penny to have a little bit of a key moment in this. Um, they decide to do some research into um, European... Because Blofeld's broken his neck, right? So they, they have a hunch. It's all a bit cheesy, my plot's promising should be. But they have a hunch that, you know... He's gone to the very some you know he'll have identified an underground Uber neck surgeon somewhere in Europe. So they have a um, there's a little research session with Bond and Money Penny where um, she's nice. helping him out. You know the equivalent That's of the nice. not even the internet, I guess, searching some files or something they've got on next yes. session. But I'm, I'm <laughs> but going full it. nose, yeah, not a, I'm going for the full nose, not a banana yes. QC. <laughs> <laughs> but I also um, him sharing a moment with Money Penny is yeah. really lovely as well because of their connection and her being there helping him when he's mourning and stuff. It's really cool. I like that. And I feel like there's something there around, um, you know, I don't like that they made her a, field, a failed field agent, Money Penny. If you're going to do that, lean into it and have her actually, I don't know, not be a terrible shot or something anyway. But but I think um, for for this Money Penny, you've got Lois Maxwell just being just uber efficient. She's not just an EA that takes M's calls. Like she's just bloody on it in terms of research and those all that stuff. So I'd like her to have a little part to play. But anyway, um what I want there though is um you know two quick points on that too. One is like, you know, I feel Savalas's Blofeld has got a lot of ego about him as well. You know, he wanted to be a count. You know, it's kind of the plot yes. of the Six. Let's really lean into that. So he would try and get his neck neck fixed. He's not just going to live with that problem. Like do you know what I mean? And then I think the um and I like the idea of having a nose cue, not a banana scene as being sort of a relative safety scene. Like in a horror movie, you know you're not getting action now. You know, it's just these two having a coffee and a nice moment. And they have a nice moment, but the scene is interrupted. And um, a money penny is shot in the room by somebody doing a, a Bond reverse from your pre-title, a snipery type character comes in, shoots nice. money penny. Um, Bond wrestles and... Um, gets into the ground, whips off, is freaking blunt. <laughs> and she's actually like, you know, the, the, um, and, and he actually, I think he kills it, uh, gets pulled off. And, um, and, and basically, um, there's, it's, a, it's a sort of a henchman of some sort. And, um, and he's fighting him, and, uh, but, but basically gets, uh, get, gets beaten in the fight, Bond, because the guy is actually like a bit of a, a bruiser. But he has got um, a sleeve tattoo, which I don't think anybody would have seen back in the day. Like, do you know what I mean? I don't know whether it was a thing back in the 70s, but full mm. sleeve tattoo, maybe some spectre type stuff. I don't know. But essentially a full sleeve on his arm. Key plop. <laughs> and, um, and he's basically, Bond's a nice. bit groggy. I've got to ask, is Money yeah. Penny okay? She's all right, shot in the arm, shot in the arm. But Bond, what? they're only after Bond. And okay, then they good. take him out. And as they're out, um, he, uh, it's, it's one of these classic, way too elaborate, 
way too elaborate situations. Like, I mean, they should have just freaking killed him there and then. But um, as as and it's one of those real like groggy moments, I think, for Bond, where he's sort of as you, you can just see the corridors of MI five as he's going out, but a couple of like maybe thirty seconds of you know a few people around the office, um, you know, down, but they haven't gone into the main area. They're in a side building or what have you. You know, it's not M's office has been invaded. But they're just in, you know. Um, but the um, and he's taken. So out, this is an invasion of MI five. Essentially, yeah. This is big. They've okay. gone in. They've taken. They've taken out a few characters who are sort of work around the building. Haven't got to the main stronghold. Just Bond and Money Penner in a, a side area, um, and then Bond does. I like. I always like the Golden Eye moment where he wakes up and he's just in a trap and he's got to deal with it and he's got to work it out. Like, you know what I mean? And I, I just think something like that. I don't know what that is. He gets out of that, kills Blunt. Haven't really thought about how he's going to do that either yet, Shepi. I'm sorry to uh, say. But. Um, Bunt, sorry, yeah, and uh, then I mean, I was going for Mary Poppins, Emily Blunt, and I don't know what came over me. I'm sorry, <laughs> wrong movie. Um, I wanted to go. I, I think Blofeld's surgeon isn't in Europe, and he's in Nevada. Um, I want you know to have a couple of little elements of diamonds creeping in here around and diamonds are forever. I didn't go with the full villain plot, to be honest with you, beyond him getting his neck fixed. Really, um, I the the. But your thing around all the military, this attack on British soil, MI5 being invaded is a big deal. So there's lots moving in on what is perceived to be um, Blofeld's area. Um, becomes a bit of a race to get to Blofeld first. And Bond obviously wants to finish the the, the, the job. I've kind of got Blofeld pulling the thread on his bio-warfare that you talked about before to kind of finish the job he started for Majesty's Secret Service. Um you know, and I kind of quite like the idea you've got a sequel here and you could do a villain who says, you know what? It was a good plan. I'm going to try again. <laughs> it's a different way to go. <laughs> 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 um, and then, um, look, I, I think what would be quite nice, the only other note I had really was um, the, um, oh, actually, I've got two other things to just tell you. Was the um, but but essentially you know Bond gets to Nevada. Bond eff- effectively um, has a, a, a finds Blofeld, probably has an exchange with Blofeld, which is quite meaty given all the stuff that's happened. They have a um, some at the end. There's a, there's a scuffle. I've gone similar to you, like a bit of a bruising one, and then um, and Bond manages to kill Blofeld somehow. Again, haven't really done the detail on that, but in the moment that he thinks he's killed him, you know, sleeve up. The guy is the. It's actually the henchman, and in a diamonds are forever esque. Blofeld has mm. essentially plastic surgery. This guy's face to look nice. like his. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Just enough. Just enough. You know. Yes. Um, yes. And then, um, and so, so actually, Blofeld lives at the end of mine. Absolutely, to to nice. fight another day, and one has to let it go. Um, and there's. That's great. Uh, only other thing that I thought we'd not seen before, which I'd like to see, and this is actually just more in the middle, is I just like between um, you know, Bond the MI5 and him getting in Nevada, like him realizing he was beat bested because he's a bit out of shape and not 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 at his peak. And so we go pure montage and we actually see Bond back to military, see some old buddies of his, you know, and they help him get out of his funk. And um, okay, and just you know, we see a bit of a montage of Bond doing some freaking nails military stuff. It's my favourite thing about Craig's is that he feels like he's been in the military. 
and he just carries himself in that way. Obviously, mm. he's, the, he's got the bruise a bit to him, but I'm just saying even just little incidental things, the way he's just, the, the inflections with Craig, just quite nice. You believe he's an ex-Marine, you know, do you know what I mean? And let's see some of that stuff. Let's see Bond go back and see some yes. people that are now at general level or whatever, you know, and he wants to go straight back in and get bloody hardcore again, you know, and that'd be quite a nice thing to do, I think. But, yes. Um, Navy chums. He gets in his, uh, his SAS buddies. Yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, that's great stuff. Ships, that is what I had for you. Nowhere near as well considered, but, you know, some fun thoughts. No, no, stop that. Stop that. No, no, no. No, no, no. Stop that. (laughs) You know, something just occurred to me as well, Um, maybe for mine or yours, but, yeah, I just thought literally just in the last couple of minutes, you know, to revisit more maybe an option for uh, for this version of the sequel would be to go and, revisit then some of the girls from on a majesty's secret service who he meets in the clinic and maybe i think it's ruby the main girl from the clinic who he yeah. meets she could even be the main girl in in this um you know i don't know how it pans in because i think she's there because her family owns a chicken farm and that's the only reason she's there so i don't know how she could be incorporated but let's say she has a vile which hasn't been tampered with of this fertility stuff, infertility stuff. So Bond has to go there to like, you know, and then they just get sucked up and they get attacked in the chicken farm or whatever. (laughs) And she's stuck with him for the rest of the film. That literally, that's just, but you know, to tie it even more in, and I'm going to totally steal your money penny idea of having a nice moment between Bond and money penny is genius. Thanks man. I mean, there's, there's some thoughts there. It's, it was one to catch that it was a biggie, you know, because it's a great, yeah. like, idea that, you know, it's actually one of the more perfect things to really consider for this pod. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's absolutely, you know, perfect, if you know what I mean, in terms yeah. of, yes, of course you have to do that one, you know. There's probably going to be a few um, that are going to be just for us sort of thing, but this is the kind of thing yes. we absolutely oh, should nice. pull the thread on. Um all right, or Bean. Well, look, I, 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 um, I was just realising as I came into the pod that I hadn't really thought about what next either, because it's, it's up to me to decide ah. the next one, isn't it? So um, I was, I've got two in mind that may be worth a spin. Well, choose um, one but, now, and we don't, we don't, we don't, we're not beholden to it, but give it a taste. What might we be talking about in episode three? <laughs> well, I would, I'm a fan of the first two of the Jaws franchise. I like Jaws 2. Nice. Jaws 3 has some problems, I think, for me, subjectively. Some might love Jaws 3D, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd be very interested to, because, you know, Jaws, if there was a good third, could become like a really awesome trilogy, potentially, you know. Um, nice. And I just wonder whether there's opportunity to just have a little bit of a, well, maybe a trip to Amity, maybe a trip elsewhere, maybe a, maybe there's never been a Jaws 3 and, you know, we do one now, just go wherever you like with a Sheppy is essentially my my Jimbo. view. So, um, yeah. Oh, wow. Jimbo, <laughs> I think we're going to make a splash.
We'd love to hear what you think. Please feel free to connect with us at Shoulders Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.